and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise. How's it going, Wayne? Mav, I'm I. I, I guess I, I promised last week I would have asked uh, you. Different questions. That's yeah, right. That was a lie. That was, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask the truth in a lie. My lie was that I was going to ask a different question. <laughs> that would be, I mean, as much as Hannah, when she, who's not here this week, but as much as she always complains about how the monotony of the opening sentence, like, I, I don't have the energy to think up new ones. So. <laughs> that's fair. So it's going to be this. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> anyway, so so that's what I, that's what I'm up to. I'm still I'm technically still on vacation, but uh, summer is quickly ending. So now I'm in the crunch time part of vacation for academics where I'm like, oh, I didn't do shit all summer. So now I have to like write all my yeah, I got to do something. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got I have like four syllabi to write and I'm picking up books and stuff. I'm very busy all of a sudden for still tech technically being on vacation. So that's what I'm up. What are you, how are you doing? I'm good. No, no big changes, nothing going on. You know what you could do in the little bit of time you have left is you could take a nap and during that nap, you may dream. <laughs> wow. Seamless transition there. Thank you. Thank you. I started working on it. <laughs> what are we talking about today? <laughs> We're going to talk about Sandman. It seems time. It's been out for, what do we determine? 33 years. So it's about time for us to cover it on <laughs> it is, Vox Podcast. We've yeah, been doing 33, it 33 years, right? <laughs> 33 years or a week and a half, depending on whether you're a comic book person or a tv person yeah, right um, yeah and that's weird. it the tv show is what has made us we need to do this now because it is the topic du jour people are into it and it's yeah. weird because people are like oh this is exciting this is, have you seen this new thing and then, well i mean yes but also I, I read it three decades ago yeah <laughs> i just a little back i bought the first issue off the stands when it came out in 1989 you know i've been reading i mean comics my whole life but you know post watchman post dark knight i was looking for things that felt more adult i was had been primed by reading alan Moore's swamp thing up to this point and you know at that point Gaiman was not the name he is now he had done some Miracle Man there was a Black Orchid miniseries and that was pretty much it he was a relative unknown I read both of those and I liked them but for Mm -hmm. the most part I was just picking up this new thing from DC and I I admit it being I liked it I liked it well enough I kept buying it but it took a while to really realize what the series was going to be so I read it as it was coming out I've read the trades it's probably one of the series I've read beginning to end most often in my life probably not the most but probably top 10 series I've read most often because and I do get something different out of it every time I read it so we want to talk about Sandman but we also have some guests tonight to talk about Sandman I brought one and you brought the other one of them is a returning guest and one of them is brand new our brand new guest is Nick Katsiatis who I met through PCA Nick and I have a lot of similar interests enough so that in the two out of three of my presentations he and I have been on the same panel because we're talking about similar really things. it happened that often I yeah, two, two, two out of three so hey Nick Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You want to give, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and what you do and why you're here. Okay. So I met, you know, I've been studying Sandman for the last, you know, probably around 10 years that I've been in academia. And I was first introduced to it about 17 years ago when I was working at Hot Topic. Somehow that's not surprising. (laughs) When we still had the Spider Gate, not when we adopted Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga and all them, which is still cool with Gaga, but, you know, we still had the trip pain and everything back then and I was trying to find my way into graphic novels right around that time and one of my buddies suggested Sandman this was when I was 19 years old too so so I got into it and then read it from Preludes and Nocturnes all the way up to the wake you know the original run of issues 1 through 75 and then I was done with it and then revisited when I got into my PhD program at IUP or Indiana University of Pennsylvania in an adaptation course and one of the options was to do my final project on on The Tempest or Midsummer Night's dream and I was rereading Sandman at the time and I was like this is perfect I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it on the wake or issue that comes in the wake which is uh, the Tempest Mm -hmm. and I was like well this is perfect because we're reading the Tempest in the class and this is an outside source that I could write my final paper on and then that ended up being my first presentation at PCA ACA and then I sent that into Julia Round over at the Studies and Comics over in the UK and she picked it up and wanted me to publish it and that eventually turned into my dissertation on Sandman Man, The Unwritten by Mike Carey and Peter Gross, who also wrote the spinoff Lucifer series, mm-hmm. and then uh, Promethea. And so that's, you know, Alan, Neil Gaiman's connections to Alan Moore. So I read the connections between the three texts, and that eventually became my dissertation. And now my book, which is coming out uh, on Rochester Institute of Technology Press. So, awesome. so, so, so you yeah. thought about Sandman a little bit. <laughs> just quite a little bit. <laughs> Let's just say that by now, when I say, when I spell wizard, it looks weird to me. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm excited to uh, talk about this on the show for sure. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for being here. And then yeah. I asked to return a friend of the show, someone who's been on it before, Kate Coker. Hey, Kate. Hey, Matt. Yeah, I'm a creator of rare books and manuscripts at the University of Illinois, which means I'm a huge hunk of nerd. And I realized <laughs> when you guys invited me that I've actually never written anything on Neil Gaiman, despite like being a huge fangirl of his like since the early 2000s. Like, I've never read any of the Sandman in it. Well, I take that back. Sandman Overture came out when I was mm. an actual comic reader, but the original run of Sandman was something I've only ever consumed in the paperback collection. Oh. I, I think that's true of most people at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Well, the floppies, I mean, the floppies ended yeah. literally 20, 30 20, years ago. Right. 28 yeah. years ago. Yeah. So yeah. it's weird. So for me, I mean, just situate myself in it. Wayne, you talked about not being as into it at first as you would eventually mm. get. Sandman, I'm not sure the month it started without looking it up, but Sandman basically started either right as I was starting my job or right before I started my job at a comic book store, which was a high school job for me. So I read them right off the rack as well, but I wasn't buying them at first. It's just, you know, Wayne, you've worked in a comic book store before. One of the things that you do when you work in a comic book store is you just read everything, especially everything (laughs) popular, because somebody will come up and say, hey, should I read this? And you want to be able to tell them yes so that you can make a sell. So you need to know something about all of it. So I started reading it back then. It was never my favorite thing. I didn't love Sandman at first. Then I eventually I went away to college before it finished. So I read them, I believe my first read through, I was reading trade paperbacks that belonged to Max, who does our theme song because he was my roommate in college. So so I got through it. I've got many of the issues that I bought, but I don't think I have even have a complete run. I liked a lot of the world around Sandman and I liked conceptually. I like Sandman because I have a lot of you know interest in mythologies and things like that. And it's like, well, oh, really interesting that he's doing this thing. But I also really like, you know, if you've heard me on the store before, even with like my superhero content, my sci-fi, my fantasy, my superhero stuff, I like very grounded, you know, people not really doing a lot of things, stories. So my favorite parts of Sandman are the most mundane parts. And so like a lot of Sandman for me was like too much magic in this. <laughs> and so, yeah. which is, you know, part of what people loved about it. So it was never my favorite thing, but it was a thing that I've always greatly respected. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, so it's a very weird place to be in. And well, I'm like, I mean, oh, we've talked. I mean, much like you with superheroes, my favorites are you know, the Hawkeye, Nightwing, you know, the lesser power. Like I typically don't relate to the larger power characters. So I'm a little surprised I get into this as much as I have. And I think some of that is because, yes, there are these grand cosmic you know, personifications of concepts who are the main characters. But to me, it's always been a very human story. Just all the human characters are in it and the effects of these other things. I'm going to step aside and let other people jump in with that. Yeah, why do you guys uh, like Sandman? That's a yeah. <laughs> good starter question. Well, the thing that I've always liked about it and, you know, remind librarian, and it's about stories and mm-hmm. the repeated, like, motifs, uh, you know, across the pages and the fact that they do this in the TV show as well, that, you know, the pulling out of books, pulling out of the stories and the way the things go back and forth in between the tellings, the way, you know, the various issues of the comic go back and forth in terms of how the story is told. I'm thinking in particular of some of the short stories that take place. There's the one that is about the Emperor Augustus and parts of it interspersed are from the memoirs of Isidus, who is an actor and they go, you know, on this little mythic adventure and hijinks ensued, but it's always about who is telling the story? Who is hearing the story? Where does the story come from? Learning from other people how much of the story is quote-unquote true or not. It's about stories and I love it. I'm actually going to spend on that, Kate. One of the reasons why, or the reason why I love Sandman the most is that not only is it about stories themselves, but the power of stories and how stories can move people to act in the ways that dreams are equated with with stories within the story itself and how going into like how the narrative is actually self-reflective because, you know, Damon is writing a story about the power of stories. And so he's also highlighting his own story as important as well. And that's one thing that always drew me to the narrative itself. <laughs> that meta level of that is, was always one of the appealing things to me. Once I realized that piece of it, that this is a story about the nature of story and the power of storytelling, that just mm-hmm. that tapped into 
a lot of my core interests. One of the things that, that strikes me about it, ha- having reread it a couple of times and, you know, thinking about it, you know, now as quote unquote an adult is, and, and I'm 41, <laughs> is the fact that Neil Gaiman was writing this big, mythic, huge, incredibly absorbing world and he's in his 20s. And I'm like, yeah. holy shit. <laughs> you know, how do you, you know, the levels of experience that the characters bring forth and so forth is just so informed and so sympathetic and it's just astonishing. Nuanced. Incredibly nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the level of like maturity too that even Morpheus experiences in the beginning of the story is kind of like an analog to Gaiman's maturity at the time that he started Sandman. You know, because you can see the story mature itself and become much more intricate and much more structured throughout, you know, the, you know, I would say from volumes three and on with with Dream Country and into Season of Myths. Like that's where he starts getting really complex and starts bringing together different mythologies and kind of having it have a universal appeal to it. I wonder if part of that is, and he's talked about this, as the series goes on, he sort of gets further and further away from its root, which was it was it was initially envisioned as like, hey, this weird mystical corner of the DC universe. And it just kind of quickly drifts. Yeah, very quickly. Um, And it's weird for me watching it now because just seeing the vestiges of DC-ness that that are left, left in the universe. Or, yeah, or, I do tend to forget that it is set in the DC universe. Like I know the connections are there. When uh-huh. I think of Sandman, I think of it as self-contained. I do, this, yeah. I do the same with you. Uh, all that Swamp Thing stuff. Like yes, right. the, it, it is, but not really. Well, yeah, um, and then even as you're watching the show too, if you're a huge fan of books, <laughs> you notice those absences. Like right off the bat, when Bruton Glob didn't wasn't in the stained glass yeah. window, I was just like, oh, so you know, and there like it was kind of like that absence. I was like, oh. Okay, so they're not connecting it to the DC universe at all. Um, well, they're not, or they're mostly not, right? Because then they're, because well, then Abel a, there. Yeah, Cain and yeah. Abel are there, and and Hector and, and Lyda are there, and their names are the same. And, and it's like, oh, they're being weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, and you know, to be fair, you Cain know, and Abel. Yes, there's the biblical story of who those people are. They're not directly tied to the DC universe, except those versions of them are. But yeah, mm-hmm. Hector and Lyda is as prime example of. You know, I remember reading Infinity Inc. and reading them as what Silver Scarab and Fury, Fury. for several years before they brought, came into Sandman. Right. And then they're just kind of here and it doesn't bother me. No, um, me either. Me either. And, not I, at all. and in fact, I prefer I mean, it's weird. He couldn't have just changed their names. I understand why he's getting enough. Yeah. He's getting enough shit from people complaining about Joanna time. Yes. Hey, I will battle, actually defend you that battle for, because Matt what? had called John Constantine Keen with like three E's. I actually reread that issue yesterday. Yesterday, but, yeah. in, in, but in his very first appearance, and I can show you the he, panel. In his yes, very I know. He says he corrects somebody. Yep. He, and you know what? Don't care. Much like yeah. I don't care about the. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, let, let me address. And I get it. It doesn't yeah. matter in the long run. But I remember reading that at the time, but also in the mid '80s when I was going to a lot of comics conventions. I spent a number mm-hmm. of those comics conventions hanging out with Steve Bissett and John Tottleben and becoming friends with them. And they are the co-creators of those characters. And guess how they pronounced it? What time? I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, so, and that's so what I just I always have because of those experiences. When people right. started calling it John Constantine, I'm like, no. <laughs> well, so but see that but I was making the point there though that much like I don't care that he is now a girl instead of a boy. Yeah, right, yeah. I don't care how you pronounce it because the nature of story, because you know, the reason I care about Sandman is because I am a nerdy professional English major, right? And the nature of story, the author is dead, everything happens inside my head and if yeah. it's easier for me to hear teen than time I'll do it that way or I just won't care at all yeah it, it became one of those things it was just a running joke at the store when right. I worked there like I, you know, I would pronounce it that way because that's the way I always did mm-hmm. and people would look at me funny and correct me and I'm like no yeah. <laughs> you know you but, can make but, an but, argument but the point I'm making is just like yeah you can make an argument that it's an intellectual property thing now because the TV show John Constantine 2015 right. that spin off into Legends of Tomorrow which 
also mm-hmm. had the uncredited cameo by Tom Ellis as Lucifer during one of their big crossovers yes. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, who has his own Masakine, distinct from the Gwendolyn Christie Lucifer and Masakine. Yeah. And they're these two different things, even though in the best of all possible universes, we could have a multiverse crossover because I would love to see <laughs> Gwendolyn Christie <laughs> and mm-hmm. Tom Ellis having some kind of like charming, everyone thinking they're going to have a big fight. Yeah. In fact, they have a charming tea together. <laughs> Just throwing that out. Even, with, even going with Matthew Cable as well. Yeah. Is Matthew the Raven still Matthew Cable? Because right. whenever he showed, whenever Matthew Cable, the person showed up in the Swamp Thing series a couple of years ago, I was really excited because that was right when they announced that Sandman was going to be, mm-hmm. he made a TV show. I was like, oh, so if they have this crossover, but then, you know, after episode one aired, it's <laughs> yeah, all canceled. Yep. And the Matthew Cable who was introduced in Swamp Thing is a horrible person. <laughs> so, and once again, that's a tie into the DC universe that doesn't matter for the current TV show. Right. And, and you know, with all of these things, Matt, you and I have talked about this on any number of episodes you might take on, whether it's the Marvel movies or TV series or whatever. Like, yes, I have my head cannon based on and my expectation based on what I've read. I kind of go into all of them just as this is a brand new narrative. Yes. These are all new versions of these characters. And that's OK. You, you, we, you know, we read them differently. Um, well, and that kind of goes into one of the things that um, that you know made us want to do this show. Other than the fact that this is just the thing that is highly revolutionary that everybody's watching this week. You know, it is it is obviously Netflix's number one show for the week. It's not getting Stranger Things numbers. It's not getting Bridgerton numbers, but it's getting real good numbers for Netflix. Put it that way. It's 69 million in the first three days, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, 69 million hours, which is good. Which, which is slightly more than read the series when it was coming out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then kind of, well, we'll get into that, right? Because I find the very nature of the interpretation of this story interesting because that's what Sandman is about in the first place as mm-hmm. Nick was just talking about it. You know, if we're talking about this is a story about story, which is what Kate liked about it, what Nick liked about it, what I like about it, what you like about it. If we're talking about Sandman as a story about story, then reinterpretation is part of that story. And that means that, you know, there are tweaks of I, I don't I know for a lot of people who've read this, you know, and this was formative for their childhoods or their young adulthoods, I should say, right? This is like the story that shepherded them through puberty and made them feel okay when they see death and dream, you know, going on little adventures together. They have this vision of these people in their head and they want it to match. They want Constantine to match the gruff Englishman that looks like David Bowie, you know, or Sting, I guess it was. Yeah, Sting. Sting. Bowie. It was Sting. Yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was Bowie. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I thought I said that. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. And I, yeah, yeah. this was Bowie and Sting was John. But they want that picture and I don't know that picture matters. I think it's more I don't need to see this thing that I read on the big screen. I've got the books for that. They're on mm-hmm. my shelf. I can go do that. I mean, I can literally go grab them right now, yeah. but I don't need to see the exact same thing. Yeah, um, the new interpretation is like, interpretation. Right. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. That's why I find interesting about it, seeing a new interpretation, a new vision of this. Well, and just you know, the bigger concept of myth, you know, we've talked before, you know, for myths and stories to survive, they have to transform. They have to right. speak to a new audience. You can't remain what they were when they were first introduced because they don't speak to the world anymore. Right. And in a story about stories, one of the main parts of that is that stories change and the stories that no longer speak to our needs disappear. I guess the reason I brought that up is if I, I've found this very interesting because as far as I can tell, for the most part, the reaction's been positive. I mean, obviously, yes. yeah, yeah, all four of us liked it, but most of the reaction's been positive. It is weird that I've seen some negative bits from... So there's the corner of the internet that's always going to be negative against anything that's too woke and they're like well why are you gonna dump wokeness on my sandman and neil himself which is his actual twitter name has been has been just like roasting these people on twitter going you guys didn't understand the book it was always like this is what the story was when i wrote it 30 years ago yeah so you know whatever for those people but i'm also seeing essentially those same complaints the complaints that i see from the people who loved it and who understood it and who were countercultural or goth or anything the complaints that i see are people are like well that's not how i see john I, I wish i could see the original john or you know or death you know i really need death to be a goth girl having, having her be black is weird and i'm like well is it though <laughs> i mean like it's just like i don't know that her being goth was ever really part of the story other than the fact that you like that you know she looked a way that was easy for you to cosplay as yeah <laughs> <laughs> like you know yeah. like, seriously what did she ever well, do 
that was particularly well, and, she wasn't hanging out at you know at punk clubs she was just wandering around talking to people yeah well and i and you know, it, it's canonical in the original story they manifest differently depending on who sees them <laughs> you know like th- there is no set form to how these people look mm-hmm. these people how the endless look and you know with other characters you know, whatever you you can it's a different world they're different people they're different characters i don't know how else to say that i guess i i just care about it yeah yeah yeah, and that's it yeah neither do i i I get how people are so attached to something that is incredibly meaningful for to them if this was something that 1993 was just your jam and helped you survive college or break up or whatever and you identified with it that strongly you have this headcanon of who and what these characters are and anything that's different from that is going to feel weird to you and if it's not for you it's not for you but this stuff is not you know for all the trade paperback editions of it and whatever it's not set in stone you know it's it's built on grains of sand if i may be so bold even Good. with dream hunters you get an asian version of death too right know? and so <laughs> to say that well, and, oh it's only supposed to be like this you know white european goth girl that's inaccurate because of the source well, texts even of themselves well mm-hmm. what was and i'm my mind's going blank the, the series that came out years later kate you mentioned it overture. earlier overture well, there was also double page spread. that was dreams of the tales of the endless or something too yeah right yes right but there's like a, a double page spread of hundreds of versions of morpheus like, right there it's like actually i tweeted that out of game and i said people were fine with dream as a damn clown and overture but made death black yeah. and they right. lose their minds <laughs> right 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 and that's not most fans though to be fair it really isn't right right and one of the weird things about this is we're talking about most fans because we live in a world where this is a formative book right like mm-hmm. where this is a, where this is a very important comic book in the world of alternative comic books which is you know, like not the you know in the world of alternative comics mass produced by one of the two biggest comic books right, right, on the planet, right. it is a very important work in that incredibly tiny niche right the vast majority of people watching this show have never read Sandman and I and probably most people actually, I don't even know if I can say most people I'm sure we have a large percentage of our listeners have read Sandman so it seems impossible that there could be people in this world who have not read it for there are <laughs> and in fact yeah. most of them like most of them are not going to be fans so this is really sort of capturing new ground and it's sort of I mean there's little details of things if you want to talk about your way of, of viewing this as kind of woke literature right in the original text desire uses the pronouns it and it's and they changed it or he Neil changed it to they because he wanted it to be more in line with the current sensibilities of how not even all but most non-binary people identify it mm-hmm. makes no sense one way or the other because none of the endless spoilers for the series but none of the endless are really anything they're all only conceptual right so you're they, right right so the pronouns don't matter for any of them but since desire always presented as non-binary they rewrote the script to be they for this mm-hmm. and it's fine yeah it, i don't i mean and in fact what? i mean like people talk about like when you're complaining about whether you know how death looks like the fact that death is black the fact that joanna is female you know dream is not supposed to be caucasian dream is supposed to be chalky white yeah and he's not so deal with it it's fine yeah <laughs> you know? yeah he's just he's not you know he's also not supposed to have eyeballs it would have just been really <laughs> into it. it would have just been really hard so so he does i mean he doesn't they said, the, the, that, they said that they tried doing that then it looked like a bad cosplay so that's yeah. why they reverted back to like a more human look to yeah. and, and there have been some scenes where he's standing in shadow and there is a gleam in his eye that is you know, unearthly otherworldly or whatever yeah, that, he's at the shores well. of night and right as he yep yeah right, right yeah. at the shores of night and then the other one was when he sat in the chair after he was released and he was confronting alex burgess yeah yep and it works like that i want to talk some about why this is a significant work in the world of comics i mean it's I now brought in, out into comics and in, in culture world. and in culture yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think both of those things i have my thoughts on that but i you know i want to open that up to our guests before <laughs> i just start blathering uh, like why in 1989 to 19, 1990 1989 to 1995 or whatever it was mm-hmm. why did this book have the impact it did why is it significant in the history of of comics and then in the larger culture. Well, I think it was, you know, partly because of the artistic ambition that was happening in the 80s with the dark age of comics. You know, there's a lot of people who write about British invasion during mm-hmm. the 1980s that was, you know, that was set off by Alan Moore, Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman.
Gaiman coming over, but also, you know, Frank Miller and Dave McKean and a lot of other, you know, American based artists are absolutely should be given credit at the same time. But Matt, going to answer one of your questions that you posed in your blog post, because you said like this should have been done like 25 years ago when this <laughs> ambition was at its height. And I'll I, caveat that. I don't think it should have been done. I think I'm surprised it wasn't done. It's a little uh, different. But. Gotcha. No, of <laughs> course, because I think that Gaiman was taking comics into a new territory, like or not comics in general, but the mainstream comic book industry into new territories, you know, mm-hmm. into a place of, you know, of dreams and imagination. And so I think that with a lot of the, you know, and during that time period, we get a lot of like anti-superhero narratives, you know, we get uh, what like we get Watchmen, you get Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Turns, you get so many other versions of like anti-superhero narratives. And at the same time right now, we get, we're getting a lot of anti-superhero narratives coming on the scene. We get, you know, the Umbrella Academy, we get boys, so many others that, excuse me, go for it. Invincible, the boys. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And so I think this is another point in culture or, you know, in, you know, in mass media, mass media forms that Gaben's trying to take comic adaptations into another territory. And I like that artistic ambition. I think Mm -hmm. that is, I think that is being adapted really well and really timely right now because of like, kind of like the oversaturation of anti-superhero narratives. That's my take from it though. Now from that, one of the things I've always thought really interesting about the place of of comics in our culture, you know, back in 1991, Sandman 19 and Midsummer Night's Dream won the, won the world fantasy award for best short story. And this was controversial Mm -hmm. and it was allegedly a thing that afterwards they changed the rules to prevent comics from being nominated. Although apparently they have stated that it was always that way. The comics are supposed to are only eligible for the quote special award professional category as opposed to anything else. But the fact that you had a controversy about what this comic book counted as, what this story counted as, could it be as this, could it be as that? And what it comes down to, that story in Summer Night's Dream, that's the one with, 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 with the Shakespeare story, when Dream comes to Shakespeare and everything. It's just a good story. It's a fun story. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, and we when we all agree it's a good story, like no one ever said, well, it's not worthy of awards, just maybe not this specific kind of award. It's okay for this other kind of award. The fact that we're arguing about the niches, the specificity of what things are rather than their worthiness, that's fascinating. We agree that's the good mm-hmm. story. It's how do we label it? Yeah. Well, because, you know, comics fighting against that, the prejudice that they have always had in, in many ways, things are better for them now than they were at that point. But you know, in, in terms of their acceptance, I, and I think Sandman has a lot to do with that story in particular and that incident. I'm glad you brought that up. I knew that and I've gotten it. I do really think, I mean, you know, so much has been talked about people like Alan Moore and what he brought to comics in terms of storytelling and background and, and you know, just the elements of it and the art that he brought to it and that was you know, unprecedented, debatable, you know. But so much, you know, him, all these other things we talked about were very much the superhero narrative, the deconstruction of the superhero, whether it's him or Dark Knight or whatever. And I you know, Gaiman brought in, and I tried to allude to this in the blog, I don't know how successful I was. I feel like Gaiman Sandman brought that specific comic into the wider stream of literature and art and mythology and culture in a way those others didn't. It was tapping into, I mean, you Watchmen is it is what it is, and, and you not to put it down, I, I'm a fan, was a fan at the time, I, you know, it changed everything, but it is so reliant on specifically the tropes of the superheroes and comics, where Sandman said, you know, I'm going to bring in some romantic literature. No, I like that, Wayne, um, because you know, one thing is that he does credit Alan Moore for teaching him how to compose comics. It's mm-hmm. actually pretty yeah. well documented that he had submitted yeah. his first drafts of Black Orchid, and Alan Moore had told him, or he had kind of coached him. But at the same time, he is—he says that, you know, uh, people like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, who just happens to appear in Sandman, built him yeah. as a writer. And so that is the sentiment that, or the literary history that he's coming from. And so, mm-hmm. like, like you said, he's bringing a distinctly literary perspective to the comics world. I think it's a nice blending of both. Yeah, and I think this, we talked before, just the scope of what he was attempting to do at that time is just kind of unprecedented, I think, in, in comics. Well, yeah, that, that, that ambition is the same, like, you know, like as you and I have discussed before, is, a, is the same romantic ambition that was happening in the 19th century. And so I see that very much within Gaiman's writing. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> to put you on the spot, talk about that in, in five minutes. <laughs> okay. And so well, what the romantics wanted to do is they wanted to break from the forms or the prescriptive forms that the Enlightenment had kind of prescribed to artists. Like, you must do it this way. You must compose an IMD 
iambic pentameter. You must compose in these set forms in order to create quote unquote art. And so the romantics were like, no, fuck all that. We're going to we're, we're going to do this and we are going to have free imagination. And this is what, like we're going to start experimenting. And that experimental ambition from the romantic period has absolutely carried over into Gaiman. And it's actually traceable through the authors who he read. I'm actually working on projects right now where I'm looking at how Tolkien and G.K. Chesterton were very much a product of the romantic tradition because of the artistic ambitions that they had, whether it be with myth making or whether it be through some type of other spiritual reawakening that Chesterton tries to capture within his orthodoxy. You know, if Gaiman is saying that these two built him as a writer and he's including them within his works, there's a clear traceable history to that artistic ambition in the 19th century. And that's what I find so fascinating about the 1980s, because it's not only Gaiman, but it's also more drawing from romantic tropes. And it's also Grant Morrison drawing from these romantic tropes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that suffices for the little pitch you want to make yeah. on the romantic. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and I read your dissertation through academia and you talk about some of this stuff. And I same thing, I you have a far deeper background understanding in that stuff than I do. But I find those pieces of it absolutely fascinating and ties in with a lot of my interest with in general, but Sandman very specific. I think one of the interesting things about the way Sandman works is that it is it is a work that everyone acknowledges and I'm talking about the most recent this recent incarnation this television show is a work that everyone acknowledges as a comic book TV show in the nebulous kind of meaningless way that people mostly when they say comic book movie they're mostly saying this is an adaptation of something that is superhero-y even though Sandman is not superhero-y if you encounter this because the Netflix algorithm just serves it to you and you've never heard of the comic before, I don't think you'll connect it to Batman, even though Batman appeared in Sandman, <laughs> right? right? right. Like, I mean, if I read the comics, yeah. Batman was there, but he's yeah. not going to be in this, and I don't think that's um, I don't think that's a problem. But this is not Road to Perdition, right? This is not Men in Black. This is not something where the vast majority of its viewers never know that, you know, mm-hmm. that there was a comic book. Ghost World, right? Ghost World, I bet you most people who love the film Ghost World don't know that it came from a comic. We do, but like there's yeah. a lot of people there's a lot of people who don't, right? So I'm and not I, I, Road to Perdition, I think, is the core example of that. Where no one knows that that's, that's a comic book. I think um, it's artfully done in the show too, Mav. If you're someone who hasn't read the comics then you don't know that this was supposed to be or this you know originally was connected to the DC universe. And those little absences that I was talking about earlier, like, you know, when we see John D in the Asylum, like that is supposed to be Arkham. Arkham, yeah. You know? And that's in like, you know, the they really artfully, I guess you could say, omitted even showing like the front of the building because the front of the building should say Arkham. He's supposed to be talking to Scarecrow in you know, in his cell. And so mm-hmm. those absences, I think that as a comic book, you know, reader, I think that those absences and being able to recognize them is kind of cool to see yeah. you know, original mm-hmm. conception and, and then re-execution or adaptation. And that character, you know, his history in the DC universe pre-Sandman, he was the villain Dr. Destiny who right. had fought the Justice League or whatever back in the 1960s. And none of that matters to that character right. in any version of Sandman, really. Right. right. And I think the strength of the original narrative was that much of what makes I'm going to weirdly dissertation-y for me here. For a second. <laughs> much of what makes superhero narratives work is this whole idea of trying to be an ongoing, never-ending myth, right? You know, mythic consumption is impossible. Sandman, even though it's about mythology, never intended to do that. It is a bounded story, like Watchmen. Mm-hmm. It's a longer bounded story, but it is a story that has a beginning, middle, and an end, which has continued beyond it, much like Watchmen has now. But like there is a there is a set story that is being told over those 75 issues, right? So I think one of Neil Gaiman's contributions to comics and what makes this work is he created for the first time for many people, he created the idea that comics could be literature, you know, like some yeah. something very sophisticated. There were people who, I mean, I remember because I worked in a comic book store at the time and then, you know, actually, and then went to college and met people who are, you know, no, you have to read this Sandman. This is something no other comic book is like. This is doing something unique. And I'm like, well, actually, no, there are a lot of comic books like this. You've just never read. I mean, it's really good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's bad, but there are many comic books that do this thing where they try to be sophisticated literature that is more deep than people punching each other. You're just only aware of 
of the ones that have Spider-Man in it, but that's not, <laughs> right. it's not, that's not most comics do not have Spider-Man, right? Yeah. There are a lot. So there are lots of weird things. Sandman was so good and spoke to people on such a base level that it seemed to break through mm-hmm. to where we had that phenomenon that I talked about in the blog. There are, Neil did a lot of things for the comic book industry. He staved off the retraction of the comic book industry by five years through Sandman. He got, he brought people into the store who would never have come in to read, you know, X anything or, or mm-hmm. Justice anything or the Avengers or, you know, like they were never going to show up to read these things. They showed up to read Sandman. They were there every month for six years. And then unfortunately, when it ended, you know, after the wake, we never saw them ever yeah, again. A lot of them. Well, no, and I started working at Phantom slightly after the end of Sandman. We saw them again every time there was a new Sandman project. When Overture came out, we saw yeah. people we hadn't seen in 10 years. That's- There's sort of this uncanny fandom around it of people who, they're not comics fans. They're, they're not, fans of Neil Gaiman. Yeah, right. They, they are not the church of every Wednesday as you and I have re- Which is not to, to say it. that there aren't comic fans who read it because yeah. I am one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. But there was this contingent of Sandman fans who were Sandman fans, period. And you know, there are very few books in my experience in comics retail that fosters that kind of fandom. ElfQuest is one of them. There mm-hmm. are people who are ElfQuest fans. You will never see them in a store buying anything else. But if there's a new ElfQuest project, they're there the day it comes out. Mm-hmm. And that's still true. Just Yeah, and I find that just a fascinating, it's such a different type of maybe mm-hmm. in the rest of the world, it's not a different type of fandom. My experience in comics fandom is people are fans of comics and they like this book and this book as opposed to I am just a fan of this one thing. And on the other side of things too, like I, I worked at a comic book shop when Overture was coming out and it wasn't only mm-hmm. the Sandman fans but it was also the J.H. Williams third fans that were coming in yes. and buying the books yes. too. Because he had na- made a name for himself with Greg Ruka in Batwoman Elegy and then he picked yep. up the rest of the run until DC disallowed him to marry Kate Kane right. and Maggie Sawyer so that was a full freaking thing but yeah. uh, even even, <laughs> yeah, uh, even I talk about that during Band Books Week so anyway um, but yeah so it was the Sandman fans and the quote unquote you know superhero fans of you know Jay, who followed J.H. Williams mm-hmm. III who were coming in so there was that mm-hmm. mixture as well so that segues a little bit into like the other topic right which is it changes comic book culture and you know brings the idea of again I, I don't want to I don't want to imply that Neil invented the serious comic right like right. he's not even the you know hell Mouse was out there right, right. like Mouse yeah, was out there already and it it rhymes with lust to come out 40 years previous yeah 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 so you know or you know contract with God right there's all yeah. kinds of stuff right but what I'm getting at is there are people who were reading this because it spoke to them and it made them feel okay to be different it's obvious why that happened if you were you know a young gothling in the year 1992 right it's less obvious why it was there for other people right what I think is surprising we have a lot of people who to this day are like oh this was you know I was death back then it's like no you weren't but okay but if it's sung to you then fine but there were non gothy people there were just like the people who were in the store that just to read Sandman some of them were happy go lucky bubblegum pop fans right Right. some of them and some of them were sports fans and it was just it was this weird yeah it right it wasn't everybody movement yeah it wasn't just the cliche goth person who read Sandman it was across the board and you know at that same time same basic time frame the other big goth comic of the crow and but you know it's not like they those two fandoms did a tremendous amount of overlap i don't think so yeah i mean i'm sure there were some well i imagine most of the overlap are comic fans right yeah as opposed to you know sandman fans i don't know i'm curious kate and nick are both a little younger like nick you said you first heard of it when you were working at hot topic so okay so that was so it would have been at least part of the culture there to where i imagine there would have been a t-shirt or something actually when i first started working there i did not see anything sandman Mm -hmm. and i was looking to get into into graphic novels at the time because i was just gearing up towards for an english degree and i heard a lot of good things about graphic novels one of my best friends noah who's no longer here he was discussing watchmen and i was like okay so what's a good one to start off with if like i don't have a background with superhero narratives if i don't have this 
if I don't have that. It's just like, man, Sandman, we used to sell this stuff all the time. We don't have like anything. Like we used to have death watches. We had t-shirts, so, so on and so forth. I was like, okay, cool. So got into it and then just never looked back after that. Okay. So, but it was done by the time. So then it was done by the time you started yeah, reading and it. That was around 2004. Okay. Okay. And Kate, what about you? How did you start reading? Okay. So you're probably going to laugh originally, at, but okay. So I grew up in a little rural town in Georgia. The way I discovered Neil Gaiman and Sandman was through a was through the science fiction book club that I had joined through like one of those little postcard inserts from Oh, that's awesome! Know, like yeah, that's, magazine. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so my experience of you know fantasy culture and fandom and stuff was mediated for a long time by snail mail. Like, and I remember actually the first time I ever went to an honest to god comic was when I moved to Washington D.C. for grad school and my best friend who already lived there like took me on a special tour of good comic shops oh so you went to several okay. <laughs> that's awesome like, this is how i so, learned things okay, so you, weird way but yeah no that that's great though and i think i think sandman is one of those things that a lot of people like both of you came to it through very different sources than just the traditional comic book shop fandom kind of thing well that's the that's what i think it's interesting about it right yeah. like, because if you're getting it through an on not an online book club of by mail book club or like that is specifically the thing that I'm talking about. It is transcending the comic world, right? Like, I mean, I get that it happens to be a comic book, right? But like they weren't recommending, they weren't recommending Watchmen to you in this thing or maybe yeah, they the, were. Not a lot of people discovered Nexus through those avenues. That's you know? what I'm getting at. Right, right. Yeah. Like, or Mage, right? Right. Like some, something that Mage is for Wayne and I, both of us love this book, right? Or another one, Zot, right? Yeah. Zot, yeah. Zot, the best comic book ever written and there's yeah. no way that anybody has ever mailed away from forever. <laughs> right, right. And Mage, I put fully in that category of, and Nick, our, my first presentation I did with you, I talked about this. Uh, you know, to me, it's just straight, there are superhero tropes in it, but it's just straight up urban fantasy. Yeah, and it's Arthurian urban yeah, fantasy. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. saying, isn't that Arthuriana? Dipping into that? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. But so, before the term urban fantasy became a marketing term, he's fighting ogres in baseball stadiums, you know? <laughs> So, yeah. So there's something magical about Sandman that kind of puts it there. I wanted to point out comments that we got, you know, our you know friend of the show, Maroon Langsner, pointed out on the blog that he had read an article even back when Sandman was coming out and he couldn't find the article because he, he tried to find it for me. He couldn't find the original article, but he found other people referencing it where people were calling Sandman the only sexually transmitted graphic novel or comic book. And, and I and. So we couldn't find the original article, but I did, you know, Google around enough to see where people were getting at. And their argument was there are a lot of people who read Sandman because their girlfriend made them or their boyfriend made them, and then they break up and they date somebody else and they make them read the new thing, and that's it. Now yeah, I'm going to tell my version of the story, and this in, involves well, slightly embarrassing things. But I, well, hold on, I would yeah. just argue, I would argue that it is not the only one. Yeah. But I think that there, I mean, and I saw a lot of people. Say, no, this is the only time this has ever happened. No, no. but I think there's merit there. I think I can confirm Right. The woman I was dating in the 90s, she was not a comics person. It was not her background. During the time that we were together, she became one by default just by being in my presence. And, you know, I got her to read several different things and she liked them. She appreciated them. We went through an extended process where we read Sandman together and I literally sat with her and read the book out loud while she looked over my shoulder at the artwork. And I did all the voices and everything. Thing. And you know, and it was weirdly romantic. And say, that's actually it. pretty precious, man. Yeah, yeah. And don't ask me to do any of the voices here because I won't. Well, fine, if you don't love us, Wayne, fine. <laughs> Come over and snuggle with me on the couch over my okay. shoulder, and we will do that. All right. <laughs> as long as Marcel can join in. Sure. I guess the other personal anecdote I need to throw out before the episode is over, and this is a bit of a digression, but a real good friend of mine, a woman that Mav knows, my friend mm -hmm. Renee, owns that marvelous Michael Zuli drawing of Delirium from the weight the original art i was going to point out that she i thought you were going to point out that she has she also has a tattoo of Del yeah she has a delirium tattoo from mm -hmm. from the little endless special but yeah no she that that original piece of art by michael zuli of uh delirium where she says i'm a little sad of him and it has an overlay with the uh, the lettering on it as well it to see that live is just amazing that is such a gorgeous piece of original comics art so cool. yeah well so the reason i'm wondering this thing about like i mean like we all laughed at the 
you know, the sexually transmitted comic idea of it. But again, I know for a fact it is not the only comic that happens with, but I think it probably happens frequently enough that I think that's got to say something about the power of what Sandman is, what it became. In fact, I know people who I know for a fact have been like, you know, I broke up with Joe just to make up a name. And so now I don't have Sandman anymore. So now, you know, where do I go to buy my own copy? Right. Of the stuff? <laughs> yes, yes. I've had I this conversation sold, with people. Yeah. I probably sold multiple breakup copies of Sandman to people over my career. <laughs> right, right. Like, uh, yeah, like, like, okay. And like people have come to me, it's like, you know, it's, it's Preludes and Nocturne still available. Can I get? Yes, yes. I will show you where to, you know. And I wonder if this speaks to, in quotations, Mark, the romantic nature of Sandman. It is something people love. Mm -hmm. And people want to share the things they love with people they love. And the fact that this is something that that love (laughs) genuinely gets transmitted, I find that phenomenon kind of amazing. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. as as much as I love some of the rock bands I'm into, I really don't expect anybody I date get into some of this shit. Well, it's actually interesting (laughs) that you say that, Wayne, because I think that, you know, we started this podcast on talking about like, you know, where the story began and how he mature and how Morpheus matures. But I think that Morpheus is learning how to love as well. Because yes. It's when he expresses his love to his son, Orpheus, that things start to go haywire. You know, whenever he visits destruction and, you know, spoiler alert, but whenever he visits destruction and he makes the decision that he can basically show Orpheus his love and he kills his son Orpheus and then that sets the Furies after him and that was a knowing decision of what was going to happen and so that expression of love and there's various moments throughout the entire series where Morpheus expresses that love but I think that is one of the draws to it is that it's an expression of becoming human or learning how to love something else Mm -hmm. which you know within the context of the story desire is not love right specifically in in both meanings of that phrase yes right exactly yeah yeah and that's not accidental on Gaiman's part. Right. Desire the sibling of Morpheus Mm. and also not love. I want to make sure, just because this is an ongoing theory of mine that Wayne's heard many times before we run out of time, I want to make sure both of our guests hear it and particularly Nick since you've taught it, but also Kate, since since you're a librarian, I have a theory on Sandman as a series, which I think I stand by even after this first season of the TV show. I enjoyed all 10 episodes. It's done. And what I've seen of the TV show, which again, it's only 10 episodes so far, but what I've seen of that and then what I've seen of the online reaction is people loved it and their complaint is when we got to wait how long for season two? <laughs> you know, like that's the complaint, you know, like it's, I want more, which is the problem that you want when you're producing a television show, right? right? I have never taught Sandman in a class. I've taught several comic classes and here's my flaw with Sandman. The flaw of Sandman is I consider it unteachable unless you are going to devote your semester to reading Sandman. I believe that there is no part of the story of Sandman that um, there's no single trade paperback where I feel like it is a fulfilling teaching experience to give this to, you know, a 19 year old college student and say, we're just going to read this and then we're going to be done. If you want to read more of it, you do it. on. I feel as though that would be mean and be like, and most people, every time I say that I'm going to teach a comp class, people always tell me to teach volume two. And I'm like, no, that's just rude. Like, that's not like I can't do that, right? If I'm going to do it and I feel the need to teach Neil Gaiman in the classroom, then I argue that you teach my favorite part of this world is death, the high cost of living, because I consider that entirely standalone. Yes, it is wrapped into that world, but it is the one thing from that world where I feel like if you know nothing, when you read page one, you're fine. And then when you read page 88 or whatever it is, however many pages it is, and it's over, you're fine. You've gotten a complete story in this four chapter story that you're done and then you don't have to go on. I also love it because it's, you know, it's a talkie book where nobody really does anything, which is, again, my favorite kind of comic book. <laughs> but I mean, I also like the Hobbes story, but the Hobbes story is one story, not like a whole graphic novel, you know? Right, right. So, but yeah, my, but I'm wondering, do you feel as though, do you feel as though you can separate it out or do you think of it as, a, do you think you, is there's any part of Sandman that serves as a short story or is it all, does it have to be a 75 chapter epic, 76 chapter actually? because if you consider the expert. Kate, you want to go first? Okay. So, Matt, I love you, but you're wrong. I would argue <laughs> <Why not? laughs> the high point of the Sandman are, are the short stories. And Dream mm-hmm. Country, in particular, has one of my all-time favorites. Actually, multiple all-time favorites. Yeah. Okay, so that one ha- 
has the story about Calliope, who is the muse, who is kidnapped by a writer. Right? It's about how, it's about how making stories mm-hmm. and about how making stories can sometimes be incredibly messed up. It's okay. evocative and it's traumatizing and it's beautiful and yeah, it's amazing. And there's also the one in, in that same volume. There's the one about the dream cat and about how cats want to change the world with dreams. Mm-hmm. And Neil Gaiman has said multiple interviews that that's that's one of the things that like he wonders like if he accidentally tapped into something because he said that whenever people would bring that issue of the comic to him to be signed it would be have been partially destroyed by cats and he would wonder like he's like did i tap into something and tell the world about how cats are secretly trying to take did i do did i let something out um yeah i think you know the same that those the short stories are really teachable because again they're kind of microcosms of what stories are what stories do and on the one hand they're just attached enough from the wide arc of Sandman so they really can stand alone but at the same time it's one of those things where mm. if you go back and reread within context they fit in beautifully okay you're gonna make me revise my graphic novel syllabus issue 17 and 18 by the way <laughs> no, but- if people want to read both good stories if people want to read them they are issues 17 and 18 of Sandman and, what, and 19 is uh, the Shakespeare issue is Midsummer Night's Dream yeah yep. they're all they're all Dream Country is volume three. actually three and yeah. so they're all for, and they're all in the same trade if you want to do it that way yeah, and volume so one one two three four five, yeah, six people's reflections, is, reflections. Is the other one that ha- yeah. that's the one that has the ones I mentioned before about like the Emperor Augustus and so on I mean they're just little jewels mm-hmm. every one of them and stories World's End is actually really great too because I took a Chaucer <laughs> class whenever I was you know as an undergraduate and that's ripped straight from the structure of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. And so I was talking about like, you know, the relevance of, you know, Middle Ages or, you know, uh, medieval literature. That is absolutely what someone could do without World's End. But, you know, going back to, you know, Mav, I think that you said that you thought that I had taught Sandman. I actually, I've, I've actually never taught Sandman. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've dedicated my dissertation to it in my upcoming book and a couple articles to it, but I have not taught Sandman. So I usually teach, you know, the literary history of comics for like a fun lesson at the end and then we can talk about that later at some point off the podcast but yeah I have not and so that's why I was saying like okay. hey those are actually really good ideas that I could you know and mm-hmm. just enough to like you know get one issue from one of my trades I wouldn't co- I wouldn't run into copyright issues because that's fair use as well so thank you for having given me something to chew on absolutely <laughs> I'm a librarian it's all part of the so- service <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate librarians so I actually so just went and checked and I actually really again I like the, I like this story because it is for exactly the reason Kate guessed it's a story without like lots of it's very much a talky story it's what I like about you know good comics but but the Calliope story Dream shows up it's like 23 pages 24 pages and Dream just shows up out of nowhere on page like 19 <laughs> and that's my and that's my problem with it like you like I feel like Sandman as a concept only works for me and, and again people can write us in the comments and let us know if I'm wrong or right. For me, it works if I invest myself in the overall project, which is Sandman. I have a hard time viewing any of the stories any anywhere in the run as standalone. Everything to me, I shouldn't say it only makes sense as part of the whole, but it makes more sense as part of the whole, right? Like when I'm even watching these last 10 episodes of television, to me, what I enjoyed about it was going, oh, that's going to matter later. Ooh, that's going to matter so much. Yeah, which I know, obviously, because I finished it already. Like, I know what matters and what doesn't and everything matters in it. Right. But that's to me, it just it relies so much on its intertextuality that I find it hard to read alone. I would say that's a fair assessment, especially because it's going through entirety of Sandman. Yeah, it would be very difficult to teach it in like part of the story of Morpheus, because like learning what it means to become human. I really like, like I said, I really like Kate's suggestions for like those isolated moments like at World's End or a dream of a thousand cats or so on and so forth. But I think that looking at the vulture of Sandman or asking, you know, 19, 20 year olds to look at that broader picture, you would have to dedicate a, a semester. And then that, and then another thing that comes in issue too is cost. Like, yes. how much are yes. you going to ha- ask your students to, you know, to spend on trades? Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, I, it I, is very I, hard. And, to do. Yeah. I, I know in my graphic novel class at Pitt, I kind of reminded them that like everything I'm asking you to buy this semester is at the like, library. It, well, it's also the like cost of one biology textbook. So, <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and this is and this is something you might want to no, I but in a larger and this is off topic where you where we should probably be bringing this to a close just in terms of teaching comics at the academic level that's the problem with a lot of the narratives I mean Watchmen is taught because it's really good but it's also it's 12, a 12 issues, issues one book one book <laughs> it's really hard to teach Morrison's Invisibles or Sandman mm-hmm. or Bone or oh god Wick, Wicked and Divine or Mage or Zot or any of these things that, that we talk about for those very same reasons you know so much of the history of comics stuff that is worth talking about and I think worth delving into academically which we see it at DCA you know, people like me and whoever are delving into these more obscure niches it doesn't get taught because how do you do that in a semester unless the entire semester is dedicated to this one project mm-hmm. so so I think there's a lot of great potential academic work done on longer form comics that just is never going to end up in the classroom for those reasons well but, but the classroom is not the only I mean you no ob- obviously not listen to our yeah. podcast the show know, yes right. <laughs> yeah I mean the classroom should not be the only place that you you engage with these sorts right. of things right? like right. A, one would hope that you invest in a lifelong you know commitment to learning and yes, yes. <laughs> one would hope yeah well and I, you know I, there's a I forget the name of it because it's not right in front of me but there's a like issue by issue breakdown of the invisibles that came out a number of years ago that is fascinating you know I went back and reread the invisibles issue by issue and read a chapter at a time with it just to have that experience and I, that that's a lot of extra work that you know once again doing dissertations for fun uh, but you know there's that's not something you would ever do in a classroom but it was fascinating to do it in that form so we've resolved nothing is what so we've resolved nothing <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean I what we've resolved is I think people should watch the show and yeah. once you've watched the show if you're into it you know drop a couple hundred bucks and get all the trades <laughs> they I you know, I didn't check price I just saw I was a phantom last week and I saw that there is new printings where the entire collection are now bound in four volumes which might be more affordable than the previous versions of it I, I did that 100 bullets that I think would be, originally it was like 14 volumes and they rebound it into five and it was far more cost effective so that might be the current route go so I'm not sure if they're I'm not actually sure if they're on the DC Unlimited thing I should check that yeah so yeah. 100 bullets is another series that would be well worth talking about in a crime course that's 14 volumes long that nobody will ever do so <laughs> can I make a random observation unrelated to anything except mm-hmm. Sandman Certainly. there's a story sure. I read today about a new scientific study about spiders and that spiders apparently undergo REM sleep which means that spiders probably ah. dream and I've kind of been wondering all afternoon about spider Morpheus and what that would like D- dream of a thousand spiders I have questions y'all <laughs> questions <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Sandman's volume, or sorry, I shouldn't say volume because they've renamed because volumes are different. From the newest release, Sandman Book One is is SRP thirty bucks, and two through four are each thirty five, and that would give you the entire run of the main series. So we're talking just over a hundred bucks if you wanted to have the entire thing. And honestly, probably it is yeah. it is something that you could. I mean, you're, you're talking five hundred twenty eight pages of comic story per per volume. No. So yeah. it is it's long so yeah. so we're talking you know a couple thousand pages of comic between well, yeah so so if that's you know 140 pages or whatever and it's 75 issues that's you know less than two bucks an issue it's cheaper yeah. than yeah. Yeah. limited volumes one great yeah. thing about the yeah. same I mean, universe too is like if you read the first you know omnibus or the deluxe edition and fall in love with it there's so much content that you can explore because you have the yes. omnibuses yeah. for lucifer you have the books of magic you have the current sandman universe titles nightmare country you have what is it new books of magic stamps all the sandman presents the stuff. Sandman presents stuff the absolute death you have there's just so much to explore and it's not as if you're going to need to read everything back to like you know action comics 1939 you know <laughs> right right no, yeah. It, right. It, no yeah it is it is certainly not the same as trying to explore the breadth of knowledge that is superman absolutely yeah. not yeah. And in like, terms of bang for your buck it's also well worth multiple readings. I will link I will link the new four issue print off of Amazon in our show notes. So, you know, if you want to purchase it from Amazon, buy it with our link and that way I get a kickback. That it can make it. <laughs> well, it can make the, it makes this show cheaper because I mean, you know, what I what it does right. is it gives me money that I can buy hosting with. But or, you know, if you don't want to purchase from Amazon, wherever you live, there's probably a fine local 
comic book shop that can almost certainly use your business. I can I will always I guarantee you they can use your business. Libraries. And libraries. Well, libraries need your business, but like that's free. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for you, for you. So like, you know, I, I'm saying if people want to own this on their own shelf forever and ever, is pretty much every library in America probably has the entire run of Sandman at this point. I shouldn't say every, but your local public library almost certainly has a run of Sandman at this point in one volume or it is a very popular. And if they book, don't, so, yeah, you can I, ask for oh. it. And if they make a sprouty, you, oh, can, yeah, you probably, can join the hordes of people. Arguing for you could ILL it. Yeah. <laughs> libraries are always take are always taking orders at the end of the year too. You know, especially at university yeah. libraries. Yeah. You know, they people come to mm. our department like, hey, do you want us to order anything? We're like, yes, order all of the things. All, right? Everything. Yes. <laughs> yes, there are many books. But yeah, definitely check it out. I'm I think it's worth reading. And again, not even my favorite thing, but I but as the guy who's not into it's weird because I'm you know I'm a fantasy sci-fi fan who likes the most mundane science fiction and fantasy <laughs> ever. It's just my thing, really. I love episodes of TV and movies. I, I've, we had talked about a couple of episodes ago where my favorite episode of the of all of Battlestar Galacta is the one where they box spacefaring <laughs> adventures. I want to see them punch each other in a boxing <laughs> ring. It's the best episode of that TV show. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and that's just that's the way my brain works. My favorite episode of all the Netflix superheroes shows was the one where they have dinner at a Chinese restaurant. So awesome. So, and my favorite episode of Sandman of these first 10 episodes are with Hob. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, we're, we're, yeah. uh, of course, it's like, uh, you know, followed by the followed by 24 seven, the diner, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that, like, 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 oh, yeah, I want to see nothing happen. Oh, that's what I, that's what I'm looking for in in my media is like, oh, tell me about uh, a good story about people talking. And Sandman <laughs> has a lot of that. So I will also recommend if you've not read it, if you did enjoy the show and you want to get something that I expect the show won't adapt unless they eventually give the actress who plays death her own spinoff and even then maybe not because she's too old for the story i am such a fan of death the high cost of living the series that i mentioned earlier i'll also link that in the show notes which is a story not about dream doesn't appear in it at all death makes herself human for one day so that she can live like the mortals do and that's the whole story she meets a kid and they talk about stuff <laughs> and that's the story and i love it it's so good and John Constantine's explaining how to put a condom on a banana. It was circulated as a sex yeah. thing in the early yep. 90s. That's the one yep. that probably will never it's actually video. Of. But if they did, I would yeah. want it in every school in America. Darn it. But they probably could. That one they could do. We sure. It would be oh, amazing. It'd be awesome if they do. It would be great. That would be great. <laughs> Nick, Kate, thank you so much for yeah, joining us for this. A sure lot of fun. Thanks for having me. So hopefully you'll come back again. Well, Kate's already been back. So hopefully you'll come back again, Nick. You can also feel free to come back on a future show whenever yeah, if we're there's anything you want to talk about that you think this is an appropriate format. Let us know because we're always looking for topics. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Anyway, Nick, anywhere people can find you, read your articles. See you on the internet. Anything you want to plug? Me on academia.edu. It's Nick Katsiadis, K-A-T-S-I-A-D-A-S. You can read everything that I published so far. And I have my upcoming book, which is Romanticism in Comics, Faith, Myth, and Mood. And that's coming out this fall if not at latest this winter <laughs> all right nick yeah nick's academia page will be linked in the show notes and kate yeah, you can also find me on academia.edu kate coker i have a selection of my various bits of pop culture criticism and whatnot on there you can also find me periodically on the illinois rbml youtube channel just a brief signal boost this october i'm going to be doing another online lecture about witchcraft or halloween awesome. So, you know, something to look forward to if you like that or not. We might absolutely have to bring you back just to talk about yeah. that. That would be, yeah. be awesome. Ah, and Wayne, anything you want to plug? Nothing since the last time we did this. It was like last week. Yeah. <laughs> you, had a whole, you had a whole week to come I up had, with I had a whole week to do something. No. <laughs> <laughs> I need to write something to put on academia, academia.edu, apparently. <laughs> I, I've got to pay. I, oh, I, there's so many. I have so I, many. My, my name is referenced in hundreds of really hard sciences paper, but I have this vague suspicion it's not me yeah well you have the same you have the same problem as me i mean so academia so off topic and, and am i gonna cut this am i gonna let it go i don't know academia.edu can be very 
very aggressive about letting you know because they weren't they really want you to pay money so they will if you're a scholar they will aggressively let you know if your name was mentioned in a paper somewhere and okay apparently neat. there's a WYs working in the hard sciences yeah that's what they neat except that if your last name happens to be a common word <laughs> <laughs> like like it is for both Wayne and myself then your name gets in, mentioned in papers in academic papers literally daily and so yeah. I get mail every day of hey you were mentioned in 14 more academic papers no I wasn't someone just <laughs> used the word maverick and the letter C in the same paper it's not hard it happens literally every day and yeah. their algorithm can't tell and I imagine if your name is wise the same thing happens I, I get a notification every day yeah, yeah. it's so first and often several of them in a day yeah, and the one in particular there is a W wise who is working yeah. in the heart sciences somewhere in Great Britain I've been able to figure out good for him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it's but yeah because I, I, I've looked and a lot of times it's just like you know it, it's just like talking about politics or you know or maybe they're talking about you know the Maverick television show or it, like it's literally anytime the is just used could be about horses my name is just born. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always me I swear <laughs> anyway, anyway as always you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook all the places always at Chris Maverick you can follow the show all those same places at Fox Popcast. you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week and you can leave us comments on this or any other show you can suggest topics or say anything else that's on your mind sometimes we pick guests from the blogs and if we don't we just like hearing what you're thinking you know we just talked about Sandman a lot I'm sure many of you listening to this episode have thoughts on Sandman you probably want to tell me I'm crazy for saying it's not standalone whatever tell me about it that's what the blog that's what the blog's for so leave us comment let us know what you're thinking if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes Apple Podcasts especially that really helps us out by goosing their algorithm making us more popular and just they're fun to read they make me happy even when you tell me like if you could say Mav is wrong about Sandman but I don't care five stars that would be awesome I liked Sandman I really did I just I have issues that we just talked about anyway I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought for Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out I'd once again like to thank our guests for joining us I'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye, bye.